Explore presents a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman. Chapter 15. Stop the Craziness. 26th to the 30th of May, 1977. Mali, Niger. Why won't it work? I cried out loud that very same evening as I furiously pumped the paraffin cooker and tried to light it. Why didn't we fit a swish camping gas cooker instead of this stupid old thing? I said even louder, hoping to disturb Alec as he studied his beloved maps. Couldn't he hear my frustration as I rattled and banged the tiresome object? Alec! Alec! I shouted in fury. It's useless! He looked up, not at all pleased to be disturbed from his quiet interlude after an exhausting day of driving. As I wept, the tears drew lines down my face as they rolled through the dust of the day. You should be glad to have a handy little cooker and don't have to use firewood like the ladies do here. Then you'd have something to complain about. But that's normal for them. A gas cooker would have been so much easier, like some of the other travellers have fitted in their camper vans. Oh, sure, that's great until you can't buy a gas refill. Alec said as he lit the humble cooker with no fuss at all. Smart Alec. What's up, Jan? He asked as he gently held my shoulders and looked tenderly into my eyes. Nothing, nothing at all, I replied, dabbing my tears and blowing my nose on a handkerchief. Now I know you better than that. There's something wrong. It's okay. You go back to your maps and I'll fix supper, I whimpered, brushing him aside. Half an hour later, we tucked into a bowl of pasta covered with piping hot tomato and onion sauce, then soaked up the remaining juice left on our plate with a dried up baguette. It was as hard as nails, left over from the bread that we had bought three days earlier in Mopti. With our stomachs filled and feeling well satisfied, we both relaxed. So, Jan, are you going to tell me what's troubling you? It's not like you to get het up over such a trivial thing. My mind's been so confused lately. Ever since we went to see Phil and Mary and Joss, our journey hasn't been the same. I wish we'd never met them. How do you mean? Well, with all that they said and what we've been reading in the Bible they gave us, it's totally frazzled my mind. I'm constantly thinking about the words Jesus spoke and I can't see how it can make any sense at all. I know what you're saying. I've been wondering the same. All that religious stuff was okay when we were children. But what's it got to do with our lives now? We were doing great before, so why consider God at all? I think it's really spoiling our trip. Why should we bother with such deep thoughts? I just want to enjoy our travels and have lots of fun, not be made to feel guilty by what Jesus said. That Bible is messing us up. I'll tell you what, I'll just hide it away. When we return to England, we could always go and ask a vicar what it all means. Good idea, I said, relieved. I felt the black moody cloud dissipate from within me as Alex stashed the Bible away behind one of the panels in the Land Rover. Out of sight, out of mind, 
Sleep came good and easy that night, despite the heat. The following day we found ourselves driving through a blinding white sandy wilderness where we felt far more exposed to the harsh elements than we ever did in the Sahara. The parched landscape was shrouded in a dust cloud. You could tell neither where the sky began nor the earth ended. The odd tree was here and there, roots stretched deep down into the earth, seeking water to quench its thirst, clinging to life. In the distance we saw through the dusty haze a group of Tuaregs beside a waterhole, drawing water for themselves and their animals, toiling for survival. We stopped to winch out a brand new Land Rover that had wedged itself in the deep rutted soft sand tracks. It was loaded with sardines, vegetable oils and other food products sent to Mali as part of the World Food Programme from Holland, Denmark and Norway. The nationals in the vehicle were thirsty, so I gave them some water and they gave us four mangoes in return. It was inconceivable to us that the locals carried so little water, if any, when they embarked on their trans-desert journeys. Fortunately, the remaining 20 miles to Gao were via a well-surfaced road and we arrived at the Niger River in no time at all, only to find there was no sign of the ferry. I felt yucky, boiling hot, dirty and my scalp was coated with sand. My skin had begun to chafe in the extreme conditions, causing heat rash and nasty sores. I was in need of a good soak in a rose-perfumed bubble bath. We were both parched, so took the opportunity to drink plenty of water whilst we hung around. A young go-getter lad sporting a watch and heart-shaped sunglasses offered to go and call the ferry to come for a thousand Mali francs. He was on to a right good deal. But as we were not in any rush, we didn't take up his offer and he didn't get his big bucks. After their long siesta, the ferrymen showed up, around four in the afternoon. They had us drive on to the flatbed ferry, along with another Land Rover and a lorry. The ferry crossing was quick and we soon arrived in the big desert town of Gao, only to discover a niggling fault on our vehicle. Shush, can you hear that, Jan? Alec had his ear to the side of the rear left wheel. No, what? Hissing. Sounds like we've got a slow puncture. To his dismay, Alec discovered a long, sharp thorn had been driven into the tyre. He took a while changing the wheel as darkness fell that evening. I sat on a rock and watched, swooning over Alec's strength and tenacity as he jacked up the Land Rover to remove the offending wheel. He swapped it for the spare, replaced and tightened the nuts, then lowered and stowed away the jack. Alec looked across at me and wondered where supper was. The next day, a Saturday, we had the punctured inner tube repaired at a hole-in-the-wall mechanics workshop downtown. The swarthy mechanic's skin glistened with sweat as he eased the tight inner edge of the rubber wheel onto the metal rim, using long steel levers and then manually pumped up the tyre, all for a steel. From Gao, we took the only route southeast down to Niami. The sandy dirt track ran parallel to the river, snaking its way along the semi-desert terrain, past a string of villages built alongside the water's edge. At Ansongo, women were filling their goatskin bags with water from the river. They lifted the heavy bloated skins and straddled them over their donkeys' backs. 
other women were bathing or doing their laundry in the easily accessible water. A patchwork of colourful cloths and clothing was stretched out to dry on the riverbank. At the market, the local children badgered us for money, sweets, cigarettes, whatever they could think of. I saw a naked madman walking across, unselfconsciously, his hair matted and neglected, his skin grubby and covered with sores. We bought dried mint leaves for tea, sweets and tins of sardines. The latter always seemed available in the desert markets. Next, we drove out of town for quite a distance and found an isolated place to park. Two wonderful hours of rest followed our lunch and sweet mint tea during the hottest part of the day at a temperature of 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Feeling much refreshed, we continued on a further 80 miles to La Bazanga to cross the border from Mali into Niger. Driving onwards for some miles, until we saw a huge, formidable dust storm far in the distance. The dark grey wall of dust, several hundred feet high, spread across the horizon and rolled towards us at a considerable speed. As the route was along a totally flat landscape, it offered no protection whatsoever. Alec parked the vehicle, with its rear end facing into the wind, to shield the engine as we waited out the impending storm. We looked back through the rear-view mirrors and watched it coming in all its might and power, tumbling over and over, picking up spindly bushes along its path. The alarming sound of the wind grew louder and louder as the eerie storm closed in. Suddenly, we were engulfed in the dust cloud and day became night. It blew under the back door, forming our own mini-cloud within. The strong wind rocked our fortress as it rushed across the plains. In the midst of this phenomenon, three Tuareg men mysteriously appeared from nowhere and walked by our Land Rover. Their turbaned heads bent down into the wind and their flowing robes billowed out behind them as they were going to who the devil knows where. Thankfully, during the hour-long ordeal, we suffered no more than an extra coating of dust. Alec turned the Land Rover around and we continued on our journey. Just ten miles on, we were delayed again, when the police flagged us down for no apparent reason at all. We stopped dead in our tracks and handed over our passports and car documents to the officer in charge. He carefully checked through each item, eyeing us as he did so. The vehicle itself then came under scrutiny as he walked around to the back, opened the door, clambered inside and proceeded to search through the cupboards. Rummaging through all our stuff, his attention was drawn to a bag of dirty T-shirts, socks and underwear that warranted a full inspection. What was he hoping to find? Eventually, he climbed out, handed our documents back and waved us on. By then, it was getting dark, so we quickly drove on to find a place to park for the night on the banks of the River Niger. Each day's journey had its own tale to tell and we looked forward every morning to what we would discover and experience on that day. Come Sunday, we still had a further 155 miles to go along the bush roads before we would reach Niamey, the capital of Niger. We made an early start as the peachy soft sun rose and cast gentle pastel hues on the arid landscape. A handful of fishermen punted quietly in their perroques along the calm river 
hoping for an early morning catch. Hungry birds pecked in the sand at the water's edge, searching for grubs and insects. Suddenly, they took flight, startled by the Land Rover's noisy engine that stole the tranquillity of the dawn. Our drive soon had us at the town of Ayaru. Yet another custom search, though not quite as thorough as the previous day. Always ready to explore, we tarried a while to appreciate what Ayaru Market had to offer. Strategically located on the periphery of the desert, it provided a trading centre for the nomadic and farming communities. Bellowing camels from the north carried merchandise in leather bags on their humped backs. Braying donkeys pulled carts loaded with grain from the south. We watched traders bargain with their customers to agree on a price for their purchase. Salt, clay water pots, gourds, fish, onions, small mangoes, limes, fabrics and jewellery were amongst the array of goods on sale. The Tuareg women, dressed in indigo cloth, had gold coins plaited into their hair, which accented their unveiled tanned faces weathered by the sun. In contrast, their striking men were clothed in flowing robes of a single-coloured heavy cotton fabric. Yards of soft muslin, very often a deep blue, were wrapped multiple times around their heads to form majestic turbans. Only their eyes were exposed to the elements. A couple of trendy young Tuaregs, who wore sunglasses and carried huge boom boxes in shoulder bags that were made from vivid psychedelic cloth, strolled around the market holding grand umbrellas on high. The dark-skinned local women wore off-the-shoulder blouses, wrap-around skirts and matching headdresses, all made from multicoloured African prints. Even their babies would be held onto their backs with the fabric of the same print. Some men in the market were dressed in t-shirts with trousers and the usual flip-flop footwear suitable for all ages and genders. But many men were dressed in their traditional outfits, tailored from plain bazan or colourful African print fabrics. This outfit consisted of long pyjama-style trousers held up by a drawstring with a matching tunic with long sleeves. Over this was worn a loose flowing boo-boo of which many had elaborate designs of machine embroidery decorating the neckline and front panels. The market experience thoroughly enjoyed yet again we returned to the Land Rover and continued driving south. On reaching the tarmac road, there was inevitably more traffic. The terrain gradually changed to the bush, with increased vegetation and leafy trees. We passed villages of round mud huts with tightly layered, thatched conical roofs. I think we should find a camping spot earlier today, so that we can rest this afternoon, then go into Niamey first thing tomorrow, Alec announced. We looked for the best place to park, but it took forever, driving mile after mile, searching for an isolated location in order to avoid the inevitable spectators. We're getting closer to the capital, so we need to park soon, Alex said as we scanned the bush. Shortly afterwards, he pulled off the road and brought the Land Rover to a halt by a very sparsely leafed tree. Not much shade for the middle of the day, I remarked. Well, it will have to do, Alec retorted grumpily. Can we just go a little further? We might find more shade, I whined. What's wrong with here? It'll do fine. 
I responded with a silent sulk and just sat there. Grr, okay, okay, have your own way. Alec hollered as he restarted the engine and drove at speed towards the deep ditch that ran alongside the road. We went down, then climbed up in seconds, but heard a resounding wrench from the rear end. The spare wheel mounted on the back door had hit the downward slope hard and bent up the said door. Damn blast and damn again! Or words to that effect came spilling out of Alec's mouth. The afternoon was spent under the sparsely leafed tree while Alec repaired the ailing door. I sheepishly made tea to soothe our sensitive spirits. Needless to say, we attracted some local visitors who stood and watched us for some time before wending their way onwards to wherever they were going. The following day we drove into Niami, eager to see if there was any mail waiting for us at the post office. We were richly rewarded with ten letters. We had to pay two pounds to receive them, but what the heck, it was swell to hear from our families, just what we needed, a boost of love from home. We went to a local bar, sat and drank cold beer, as we read every word of every page, it was pure joy. Truly a red letter day. Total distance driven, 14,182 miles. You've been listening to a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman. Presented by Explore More. Explore More is an adventure lifestyle brand founded on the 1977 travel stories of Alec and Jan Foreman with a passion to inspire people to explore more of the world, engage with others and embrace global cultures to ensure a greater understanding for each other and enable positive progression. Discover great products and more on exploremore.com. That's E-X-P-L-M-O-R-E dot com.